I guess it's right to say that actually both Carol and I yesterday were just simply bowled over by your expressions of love, by your expressions of care, and of your generosity to us. And uh, I guess yesterday was everything perhaps we had hoped it would be, and a lot, lot more uh, on top of that. And I know that so many people uh, came together to make that time such a special uh, occasion for us. And for that, we are very, very grateful. And that gratitude comes from the bottom of our hearts. We're not going, I'm not going to name everybody, I know that, but I know that Amy held it all together and, and brought it all together. And uh, I'm very, very grateful to her. And uh, it's been a privilege to, to work with Amy over the last, what is it, seven years, eight years, something like that, about, about that. But it's been a privilege to work with all the staff team. And, and I know that uh, Brian, who's sitting there at the back, looking quite innocent, you know, was the one responsible very much for that fantastic laden table yesterday afternoon. And uh, Brian, thank you. Thank you. I think, I think all your culinary skills and gifts came together there on that one, uh, one table. And so thank you. And... Uh, as part of that, we're just very grateful to you for the gifts that you have, have given us and the generosity that has been shown uh, in that. And I know that a number of people were intrigued to find out what was actually uh, behind the, the green wrapping paper. Well, I did take it home and I did unwrap it. And uh, it's a personalised picture. It's a commission from uh, Chris Duffett. And uh, it's a picture that he's painted uh, for me uh, on my retirement. And it has particular significance and, and meaning to it. Um, those of you who know Chris Duffett will know that he's uh, quite, quite an, an artist. All right. Okay. Well, I was just checking that you're awake. That's all it was. I was just checking you're awake. But... Uh, that's, that, that's it. Now, Chris has also written an explanation for uh, the painting. And, uh, and I knew that emotionally I wouldn't be able to read it. So I asked Amy to just come and, uh, and read it uh, for you. I can hide behind the picture. <laughs> that's a much better sight. So uh, as David said, we, we did approach Chris and ask him to pray um, and paint for David. Um, and this is what he writes about his painting. A commission for David, Re Re sorry, Reverend David Whitlock from Breton Baptist yes, Church to mark his retirement. <laughs> and he has called the piece Glory in the Field. This painting is about God's glory being poured out onto the ministry that David has faithfully tended. The field has lots of wheat and seeds and as I painted, I felt the Lord speak about the harvest that has yet to be reaped. The hot air balloon symbolizes fire, heat, and adventure. I wonder whether the Lord will pour out and into David his power as he, as he goes on to the next chapter. This isn't a retirement, rather a breathing into of the Spirit enabling him to do new things. 
I hope this painting brings encouragement. Be the light from Chris. Thank you. I'll just add, he didn't know that David had a farming background as well, so I just thought that, you know, the field of wheat at the front really connected that part of David's life. Um, and also the tree just reminded me of the righteous man planted beside the water. Um, so that's just my little thoughts on it. Okay, thank you. So Karen and I just simply want to say thank you to all of you. And I'm going to hand over to Steve. Good morning. Um, while we're all together, it's right and just that we pray over David and Carol. So I'd like to invite them both to come forward, please. I can't see Carol. Oh, there she is. <laughs> We've also, on behalf of the church, got one final gift for you both. My apologies, it's been stuck in my pocket overnight. <laughs> really sorry. The gift itself is still okay. <laughs> I woke up this morning I should, and I thought... Oh, I, should, I should treasure that, Steve. Yeah, Thank you. Yeah, the yeah, envelope means a lot to you, doesn't it? That's it, um, Def- definitely. Yeah. So I've but asked a couple... mean to say that that's been sat on by you, is Not that it? Not sat yeah, on, it was late it. last night. So. <laughs> Thank um, you. I've asked a couple of members of the Breton congregation to come forward and join me and pray over David and Carol. Uh, a couple of the little ones are going to come forward as well, so I hope the tissues are there for you, David. So. <laughs> if everyone would like to stand and perhaps just put your hands out, if you're able, just to join with us as we pray over this wonderful couple. <laughs> Father God, we just come before you now, and as David's already said, we just want to give you the glory this morning. You are the great I am, and we just thank you for this day. And Lord, I just thank you for this wonderful couple. Lord, you've brought them into each life here this morning at some point. And I just give you the praise and the glory for that. For everything they've meant to us over the years. Lord, we just come before you and we just thank you. We thank you for them. And I just pray now that you would bless them. Bless them today, tomorrow, in the weeks, and the months, and the years ahead. Protect them, Lord, we pray. But this morning we just thank you, the almighty God for everything that you've done for each and every one of us, and for David and Carol. Amen. God, thank you for David and Carol. Amen. Dear God, we hope that David has a good time at his new place. Lord, we just uh, we thank you that you are the God that gives us good gifts. And you've given everyone in this room the gift of David and the gift of Carol. So we thank you for that and we remember the good things they've done for us. The way they've touched us, the way they've spoken to our lives. For me personally, the way he's been there in key moments around my career, around a pastoral issue, around a moment of grief the way he's dedicated my children, the way he's prayed for me and my family, the way he's been faithful to the word and brought it open to us every Sunday, his sensitivity to the spirit, the way he has stood up here every morning and held us true to the anchors of the faith. 
and reminded us of what is absolutely right and true and of God as we forget it in the course of our weeks. And we thank you for Carol. We understand she has stood firm and been steadfast. We don't know all the emotional attacks or pains she's kind of suffered. We don't know the spiritual attacks she's gone under. Um, we don't know the sacrifices she has made. But we know she stood steadfast. We know she stood faithful uh, out of a commitment to David and a commitment to your church, the Church of Jesus Christ. So we thank you for them and we praise you for them and what they've done in all of our lives. Lord, we commit their future to you. We ask you to protect their health. We ask you to protect their finances. We ask you to protect their family. May it be a rich time of blessing on them. May their love for each other, for their family, for you continue to overflow. Uh, And Lord, when you call them back into their battlefield, Lord, may you bless them with a fresh anointing. Um, May you, you continue to use them and speak through them whatever way you deem. Uh, Give them a time of rest and joy now. We ask and pray. Amen. David and Carol, it's a great privilege to be able to pray for you this morning. When I think of the many times you prayed for me and prayed uh, blessing and encouragement uh, into my life. So Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this godly couple. We thank you for their love for you their love for each other, and their love for your people here. We thank you for all they've given of themselves to us as a fellowship over the last 14 years. And we pray that as they start a new life in retirement, you will bless them in every aspect of their lives. And Lord, we pray that your love would flow through them to all that they meet. We pray especially for their children and their grandchildren. Enrich those relationships, we pray. And we pray that the time that they spend with them would be very special. And I'd like to just pray a prayer which, David, you've prayed many times for us, but I want to pray it for you now. David and Carol, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. As we've been praying, I, David, you've, you've led this church, you've led me, you've been beside me, you've baptized me, you've dedicated my children, you've stood beside us through thick and thin, and you've unleashed and released gifts in me that, uh, that maybe I didn't know I had. And beside you through all of that has been Carol, equipping you, enabling you, bolstering you. And you are man and woman. You have strived and you will continue to strive. And you have grown up in Christ. But I get a sense that you are still little children as well. Little children in the Father's arms. And as they used to sing over little children in my my very first church, it's the same prayer that, that Gwyn prayed that I have for you this morning. But I'm going to minister it to you through the the gift that you've released in me. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. 
and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Amen. Now, oh dear, my voice is cracking up, so uh, that's true to form, isn't it? Uh, the young people up to the age of 11 are going with SJ into the long room. So uh, just for a moment, whilst there's a bit of movement, just turn to somebody and say hello. If you don't know them, introduce yourself. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's on, it should be, yeah, it should be. Okay. Okay, thank you. I'm going to ask Carol to come and read the scriptures. said it was already on. <laughs> Can't trust him, can you? Can't trust him. Philippians yeah. chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. And as for many of us, it's quite a familiar passage. I'm reading from the uh, contemporary English version, just to give that sort of different shade of meaning. I mean, God's word is the same, whatever version we read it in, but just to freshen it up for us a bit, perhaps. So from Paul and Timothy, or maybe today I could say from David and Carol, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's people who belong to Christ Jesus at Philippi 
and at Bretton Baptist Church, and to all your church officials and officers. I pray that God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ will be kind to you and will bless you with peace. Every time I think of you, I thank my God. And whenever I mention you in my prayers, it makes me happy. This is because you have taken part with me in spreading the good news from the first day you heard about it. God is the one who began this good work in you, and I am certain that he won't stop before it is complete on the day of Christ Jesus. You have a special place in my heart, so it's only natural for me to feel the way I do. All of you have helped in the work that God has given me as I defend the gospel and tell about it. God himself knows how much I want to see you. He knows that I care for you in the same way that Christ Jesus does. I pray that your love will keep on growing and that you will fully know and understand how to make the right choices. Then you will still be pure and innocent when Christ returns. And until that day, Jesus Christ will keep you busy doing good deeds that will bring glory and praise to God. Amen. Thank you, Carol. So, how do you finish? That's the question. That's the question. Living life with the end in sight, and that will be a familiar phrase to those of you here at, at Breton over the last couple of months, but we'll return to that in a few moments. The summer of 1979 was a very significant summer for me. Over four successive Sundays, through three different preachers and one radio broadcast, God changed the direction of my life my, and Carol's life along with it. It was the culmination of a period of spiritual struggle and of not really wanting to face up to the fact of what God was saying. It came through a verse of scripture that is in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. To somebody who had always grown up on his father's land, in his father's household, was working with his father and his brother, those words were very pertinent. Those words were very direct. And I knew what God was saying. There's that call into Christian ministry. Who, me? A pig farmer. Me, an uneducated pig farmer. That Sunday, after the fourth time through a radio broadcast, I was travelling up the A5, going from home in Pottersbury to the farm to feed the pigs at 6.30 in the morning. I'm not quite sure how I managed to feed the pigs that day, but I did. I went home, and for that morning... I spent the morning in prayer, struggling with God. Because I really didn't want to do it at that time. I thought, no God, that isn't me. 
And at that time, I just turned on the record player. Notice, record player. <laughs> and I put on the vinyl, and I listened to a worship um, record. And it was as these words sung out. I listened to a song by the, written by the worship leader of St. Michael Le Belfry in York. Robert Studley. Do you remember him, Lynn? And they're based on words taken from Isaiah 26, verses 2 and 3. And I'm not going to be like John. I'm not going to sing them. <laughs> You'll be grateful to know. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord the Lord himself is the rock eternal. I can hear it now. And it's interesting, isn't it, what you can still find on Google? And it took me about 30 seconds to find it on Google and to listen to it on Friday. Trust. And again, for those of you here at Breton, you'll know what trust means for me. Turn everything over to God. Rest on his promises. Understand God's ways are not always my ways. Seek him in all things. Thank God for everything. That day changed the direction of our lives forever and set us on a journey unknown to us at the time, but to lands known to our Heavenly Father. It began, yes, in Spurgeon's College, southwest London, and a student pastor in Stretton Vale there again in southwest London. Really felt as if I jumped in at the deep end of the swimming pool, not really knowing what was happening, what was going on. A period of time where I felt that everything was stripped away and everything was rebuilt. But from Spurgeon's we moved to Clare for seven and a half years, Clare in Suffolk. An ideal first ministry. We learnt so much there within a caring, supportive and encouraging environment. In many respects, that was foundational for all that was to come. And I should be always grateful to individuals there and for the church there, for the support and the love that they gave to me, stepping out, and to Carol and to us as a young family. But it doesn't stay, does it? Always the same. Seven and seven plus years later, we find ourselves back in southwest London at Mitcham Lane. There couldn't have been a greater contrast. The open fields of Suffolk, a lovely rural community of two and two and a half thousand people, to the hustle and bustle of London. Took us out of our comfort zone, but it was a challenge we, or certainly I, needed. And there were 12 years of, yeah, very happy ministry. Finding a church that needed to be loved, a church that needed to be restored, a church that needed to be encouraged after a tough time. And again, just loving, growing to love the diversity and being introduced to, uh, what should I say, West Indian culture, Caribbean culture, and uh, a real joy and a privilege. But there again, we then find ourselves here in Bratton, 
Bretton in Peterborough. And what can I say about the last 14 years? Or what do you want me to say <laughs> about the four last 14 years? Yes, it's had its ups and downs. It's had its struggles, but it's had so many joys. It's had so many blessings. And as I look around this room this morning, I'm just very conscious of the way that you have embraced us, you've allowed us into your lives, you've allowed us into your hearts, and we have experienced the heights and the lows. Rob referred to one yesterday, very early on in the ministry here, in a matter of weeks. And you can't forget it, a time like that, Yes, okay, we had a big church funeral, but then there was 7-7. And within the Sunday after 7-7, we have a de dedication. The whole mix and emotions of ministry. And it was at that time, a number of people just gave me the scripture that comes from Esther for such a time as this. For such a time as this. And there is a sense in which that's what I've felt through those 14 years, that it's for such a time as this, and that God has been faithful in that. But even in that, we know that there comes an end. And yes, it's right. It's right that we should be moving on. A new season, a new chapter, a new direction. And yes, it does feel a little bit like stepping out onto the water and not quite knowing how firm it is underneath. But those of you who are retired are reassuring us that it's all fine, it's all okay out there, and it will be good. But it brings me back to a verse of scripture that I picked up years ago, and she won't know it, but it was Lynn, Lynn Payne, and she led a worship session and I'm not quite sure where it was, but she used this scripture, and again, it just really resonated and it's really stayed in my head. The God who called you into fellowship with his Son, Christ Jesus, our Lord, is faithful. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. And it's on that faithfulness that we come to lean today. Whether it's Carol and I starting a new journey, or whether it's you here at Bretton Baptist Church starting a new journey, a new season, a new chapter. If you'll forgive me again, just one more moment of reminiscing. When I arrived at Clare, and again, yes, I, I will acknowledge that you're a bit wet behind the ears, you don't really quite know what you're stepping into. And I remember after the induction, the first week this was, walking from the church along the high street in, uh, in Clare. And those of you from Clare will know who immediately who I'm talking about. But uh, you walked past a men's outfitters. And the owner of that outfitters was standing on the steps of the shop. He was also a respected member of Clare Baptist Church. And we got talking, as you do, because you want to make an impression and you want to get along with people. And talking about uh, Spurgeons and training and, and that, and his comment was simply this. Oh, don't forget, don't, 
Don't worry about Spurgeons, it's our responsibility to knock you into shape. <laughs> and it just, see, they're, they're all laughing. They're all laughing. But I've often thought about those words. And in a sense, Jeff was right. But not in the way I think he intended them. Looking back, each ministry has shaped and moulded me and Carol and us as a couple, preparing us for the next chapter of life. And for that, I am extremely grateful. If you don't like what you see, then you're partly to blame. <laughs> okay. Because you have shaped us. You have made us. Paul, in the reading that Carol read to us, refers to the partnership in the Gospel from the first day until now. And I'm just so grateful that today, in the midst of this congregation, there are those I can look upon and I can say, yes, that partnership from the first day until now. For some of us, that partnership is going back over 40 plus years. For others of us, it's just a matter of weeks. There. In those words, Paul reminds us. He reminds himself and he reminds the church that we are never disciples in isolation. And whatever Carol and I have achieved or done, or not achieved or not done over the years, it has not been done in isolation. Each and every one of you has played a part, some larger than others, but each and every one of you. And for that, we say thank you. Without all of you, we could not have done this. I could not have done it. Now, I chose this reading for today because it is a very personal and pastoral, and it reflects so much of my own sentiment as I look back over my years in ministry. In those early days, I heard so many times people just simply saying, well, of course, you're a pastor. And yes, I acknowledge that. That is the principal gifting that God has given me. But Paul here speaks of having a thankful heart. I thank my God every time I remember you. He speaks about having a joyful spirit. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He speaks of an affectionate love for the church. I have you in my heart. And I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. But then he also speaks of a confident hope. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And along with Paul, I also say it is right for me to feel this way about all of you. Gratitude, joy, love, hope. They are all attributes that are at the heart of our Christian faith and ones that we should all seek to demonstrate and cultivate. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, 
Paul writes that we should be always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Later in this letter, Paul reminds us that our intercessions should be marinated in thankfulness in every situation by prayer and petition. With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And it's only then that the promise goes on that the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. That marinating in thanksgiving, all our prayers and our petitions. We're all very quick, aren't we, to say, Lord, give me this, give me this, give me this. But are we as ready to give thanks in everything that we see around us? Gratitude is an attitude that has the power to transform any situation or circumstance in life. Any situation. To look for that note of thanksgiving. And many times, yes, over these years, yeah, when life has been difficult, when ministry has been difficult, and yes, we have hit a brick wall, if you like. It's coming back to that and realising that even in those darkest moments, there are things that you can give thanks to God for. And if you can't think of anything in terms of your circumstances, you give thanks to God for his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who gives us access into the Father's presence, and for all who, who, who he is and what he has done. Gratitude. Brent Baptist Church... Be a church where gratitude overflows. Be a church that builds one another up with a spirit of thanksgiving. Never forget to say thank you. Joy is the major theme that runs through this whole letter. Joy is used four times, the word, in this letter. The word rejoice is used eight times. Throughout this letter, there's a triumphant note of joy as seen in Paul's life and writing that rises above his own adverse circumstances. Here's a man who is imprisoned. Here is a man who's been roughed up. Here's a man who's in un uncertain circumstances, not quite sure how things are going to pan out. And yet he speaks about this inner joy within his own life and within his own heart. The reason being that Paul has found that his joy does not emanate from his own personal circumstances. As tough as they might be, his joy originates from his Lord Jesus Christ, from his knowledge of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where his joy emanates. He knows his destiny. He knows his security. He knows who loves him. He knows whose hand is upon his life. So he gives the church a very simple instruction in chapter 3. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, he says, in chapter 3, verse 1. He then repeats it in chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Now for any preacher, those verses are a godsend because he's telling us three times 
rejoice. He's repeating himself. And that's what we do, isn't it, so often? We repeat ourselves. Such a joy is the fruit of the Spirit that only God can produce in us. This is evidence of God's grace. It is a deep gladness in the heart that transcends all our circumstances, all our situations, because we know that it it is well with my soul. That old song that is making a comeback, it is well with my soul. Gratitude, joy, love. Paul expresses his deep affection for all the Philippians. He treasures each and every believer in the church as a trophy of grace. He cannot reject those whom God has accepted. Paul, I'm sure, had his run-ins with some. He had his disagreements. He had his challenges. He had his ups and downs. It's part of church life, isn't it? We never see eye to eye all the time. But he writes, I long for you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Recognising that this love is also, like joy, a gift of God's grace. The one who loves us unconditionally, sorry, the one who knows, (coughs) sorry, (coughs) excuse me, The one who loves unconditionally is the one who knows that they are loved unconditionally. And that's God's love for us. God's love doesn't point the finger. God's love doesn't knock us down. God's love embraces us. God's love builds us up. It elevates us. And Paul knew that. Remember that it was Paul who wrote that without love for others, regardless of how involved we are in Christian activities, we are nothing. 1 Corinthians 13. Gratitude, joy, love, hope. And that's where we come to, and that's where we end in this word of hope. Living life with the end in sight. Well, the day, the weekend has arrived. And over the last couple of months here at Bretton Baptist Church, we've gone, we've had a whistle-stop tour, and it has been literally a whistle-stop tour through the book of Revelation under that title, Living Life with the End in Sight. Paul here, as in so many places throughout his letters, reminds his readers of their Christian hope which is also their confidence in the here and now. He reminds them that God is not just a starter, but he's a finisher. He who began a good work in you will carry on to completion. Now, I don't know about the rest of you. I guess all of you, you're good, you're, you're, you're brilliant. You start something and you see it through and you finish it. And you put it down and then you move on to the next. Well, I'm not like that. I'm not like that. I look back and I think of so many of the things that I've started, but they remain unfinished. God isn't like that. 
God isn't like that. What he starts, he completes. Paul writes, he will bring to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. What he starts, he will bring to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. But notice that. We're still a work in progress. I want to shatter your illusions. I'm not perfect yet. I'm about 99% there. <laughs> but you know, I'm, not, I'm not quite there. It's a work in progress. That completion will be on the day of Christ Jesus. As we have discovered in the book of Revelation, or we've been reminded there, that God is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. Everything began with him when he spoke his word and the worlds were created. And everything will end with him when he calls down the curtain on time. He's the starter and he's the finisher. In chapter 3 of this letter, Paul gives us an insight into what that completed work will be. When he writes at the end of that chapter in chapter 3, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enabled him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. What a tremendous vision. What a tremendous image and picture. Paul, in those few verses, he reminds us of our true status. We are citizens of heaven. There's a lot lately being made of citizenship, isn't there, in the news, particularly with the, I'm not going to use the word, the B word, but particularly with that and bigging up citizenship. But brothers and sisters, our citizenship is secure. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are sons and daughters. We are children of God. And as Paul writes to the church at at Ephesus, he says, uh, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. We are members of God's household. We are God's family. We are God's family. We are family together in the kingdom of God. And he reminds us of our status, our true status. We're not aliens. We're not lost. We're not alone. But we belong. We belong to God and to his purposes. But he reminds us also that what our present attitude should be where he speaks about we eagerly await, we eagerly uh, await there, with great expectation for Jesus Christ to return from heaven. Paul uses four names here to describe the one who will return. And each has great significance for us. He's our saviour. The one who delivers, the one who saves from great danger. He's Jesus, meaning God saves, again, reminding us, reminding us of who he is and what he has done. 
He is Christ, the anointed one, the king, and he is Lord, the ruler, sovereign, king. This is the one who will return. This is the one who will come again. And by using these four names, Paul gives a very comprehensive and weighty sense of who he is, the majesty, the splendour, the grandeur of the coming one. But he says we eagerly await. We eagerly await a saviour from there, from heaven. Do you remember where we left Revelation last week? As we were looking at those final two chapters, we had the image of the bride dressed in her finery, ready for the wedding, dressed in the fine linen that had been prepared for her through the cross of Jesus Christ. Ready and waiting, looking. Looking, calling, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And that's where the scriptures end. That's where John leaves us, there in the book of Revelation, with the bride, and who did I say was the bride? You are, we are. The church of Jesus Christ. We are the ones who have been made ready. We are the ones who have been clothed with Christ's righteousness through the cross. We are the ones who are eagerly waiting. Nobody else is. Nobody else is. But we eagerly await that one. But he reminds us of our future glory. Because when he returns, he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Right now, our bodies are lowly, aren't they? They're fragile. I look around this room. Some of you have battled depression. Some of you have battled cancer. Some of you are battling now MS. Some of you are battling life-threatening things now. Our bodies are weak. Our bodies are frail. And the older we get, the more rickety they become. And we recognise, don't we, that we live within that world of frailty. But when Jesus returns, when he comes, our bodies will be made like his own resurrected, glorified body. We will have a heavenly body, perfectly suited to our heavenly destiny. And again in Revelation, what does it say? That God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That there will be no more death, There will be no more sickness. There will be no more disease. Just stop for a moment. No more cancer. No more depression. No more loneliness. No more fragility. No more weakness. But we will be like him, our Lord and Saviour. How is it that Paul puts it in another place, in that glorious chapter of 1 Corinthians 15? So it will be, the body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. 
For in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. Brothers and sisters, that's our hope. That's our certainty. That's our destiny. And I say to you here at Bratton, as you move into the next chapter, cultivate gratitude. Remember always to give thanks. Cultivate a joyful spirit. Overflow in affectionate love for one another. And do it in the confident hope that he who began a work in you, a good work in you, will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Some verses that have meant a lot to me over the years. And they speak about that hope of one man's individual hope and security and certainty. In the midst of the very darkest of days, in the midst of the very darkest of experiences, he'd lost his family, he'd lost his wealth, he'd lost his home, he'd lost everything. But in the midst of the darkness, he says this, and this is our hope. I know that my Redeemer lives and in the end he will stand upon the earth and after my skin has been destroyed yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. John, as he brings the book of Revelation towards its conclusion, he has that glorious picture around the throne and he says that there will be no longer any curse. The throne of God and the Lord will be in the city and his servants will serve him and they will see his face. They will see his face the one who gave it all for us, the one who hung upon a cross, the one who paid the ultimate authority. But we'll see him not as the suffering servant, the cross has moved, not as the suffering servant, but as the King of kings, the Lord of lords, our Saviour and our God. And now to him, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.